my neighbor. Welcome to the neighborhood. So glad for you to be able to be with us from wherever you are watching or listening. And again today, we are excited to be able to announce that next Sunday, we will be opening our doors for people to come and attend. Now, we actually have a few people in here today just to kind of get us ready for what is going on next week. But again, I'm ex so excited. I am so excited to see all of the faces. It feels like it's been so long. But there's a couple important things that I must share with you if you're interested in being a part of coming. First of all, you must register uh, to be a part of this because space will be limited. So on Wednesday, we will be uh, putting on our, our website an online registration, again, because we are still in uh, uh, being asked to practice safe distancing, social distancing, which I think many of you are still feeling like that's a pretty good idea. Well, in order to do that, we only have so many people that can get here. So there will be a registration online starting on Wednesday as well. Um, people will not have to wear masks. So if you are one of those people that are coming and are like, I'm a little bit nervous that people might make me sick or, or do this, uh, the mask will not be required. So you may need to decide if that's something you're willing to be a part of as we want to be able to sing and sing freely in this place to worship the Lord. As well, for a, a little bit longer, as we are trying to make sure that we have volunteers and the right people in positions, there will not be children's ministry offered yet, but pay attention. That day is coming soon as well. Hopefully by the middle of summer here, we will be able to do that. And so if uh, you bring your children, they will have to be with you. Uh, again, I'm just excited about the opportunity for our neighborhood to have more people join it live. Now, we want to let you know, though, for those of you that are listening with us and have been joining with us, and we know that there have been many new people that have actually become part of our church that are in the online community from all over the world. Well, we are going to continue, even as we go forward, to offer the online experience for those who are that. And pay attention, we're going to be adding even more content and things that people can join in with us from wherever you're at, from our prayer time to our, our Bible studies to even small groups, that those things will be provided online as well as live going forward. Because I want you to know this, that you are a part of our Eastside family and you are incredibly important to us. Well, today I'm blessed to be able to continue a series I started last week called Won't You Be My Neighbor? For those who grew up in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, which I was a part of one of those kids, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was an iconic children's show that touched on so many important topics. Friendship, forgiveness, acceptance of self and others, as well as the value of every person. Fred Rogers was a man who truly valued people. Mr. Rogers, whose real name, as I said, is Fred Rogers, would use puppets and crafts for those who maybe haven't seen that, and special visitors to share those positive life principles with all who watched. But what made him so beloved was his impeccable character and the love that he had for people. Mr. Rogers wanted everyone to feel welcome in his neighborhood, just like we want everybody to feel welcome in our neighborhood here at Eastside City Church. You see, he had a heart to love and reach people that was much deeper than most would realize. Now, 
Many of you maybe don't know this about him. He was a man of great conviction and discipline. In fact, he would rise every day, every day at 5.30, every morning for a time of prayer, Bible study, reflection, as well as doing things to prepare for his day. He would have a nap every afternoon and go to bed at exactly 9.30 every evening so that he would have eight hours of sleep from 9.30 to 5.30. You can do the math. That's how he lived his life. He would not smoke or drink. He was actually, as he, as he got older, he became a vegetarian because he was so conscientious of his health. Now, something that surprised me when I began to look at who Mr. Rogers was, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but he kept his weight for over 30 plus years at 143 pounds. Why? Well, because for him it represented something that was really important to him. It represented the phrase, I love you. You see, it requires one word for the letter, for, for one letter for the word I, four letters for the word love, and three letters for the word you. I love you, one, four, three. And so every morning when he would get up and weigh himself and he would see that 143, it reminded him to love everybody that God brought his way. You see, today's message for us is we want to tap into that. We want to tackle that idea, that love that he had for all, all people. In fact, my message today is titled, How to Have a Heart for the Harvest or How to Love Lost People. With, we start today with our theme scripture, which we found in Matthew, where Jesus is talking to a lawyer, and, he, and, and, and the lawyer is asking him, who actually initially was trying to trick him up, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? And Jesus replied in this, in, in, in verse 37, he said, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. You see, really what Jesus is saying here is, listen, the whole Bible, everything that has been written in the Old Testament up to this time, and what I'm going to be share, which eventually became the, the New Testament, is summed up in these two thoughts. Love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if those two activities are your highest priority in your life, you will have a heart for the harvest or a heart for lost people. You see, last week, I, I, as we began this series, I talked to you about how to love your neighbor or that the only way that you can love your neighbor is that if you truly love yourself, that you see yourself the way that God sees you. Now, today, I want to focus on how to have a heart for the harvest or how to love people. And so the question is, is how do we do that? Well, I've got four principles that I want to share with you today. The first principle is what Jesus said in the greatest commandment, that we're to, you're to love God with your whole heart. That if you want to have a heart for the harvest, it starts by loving God with your whole heart. Why do I say that? Well, it is impossible to really love people outside of your inner circle without a passionate love for God. Oh, we can love our friends, we can love our, our kids and our wife, but to love people, to love all people, where you give them that unconditional love, it takes a passion for God. You see, as we grow deeper in our love for God, we grow more passionate about the things that God loves. 
Well, what does God love? We, we, we should ask him, what does he love? He loves his word. The Bible, he gave his Bible to it. Those are, that is his truth. You see, God loves truth. He wants us as his people to love his word and to love truth. God loves justice. He loves that we take care of each other, that we love each other, that we, we judge each other properly, that we look after each other. And God also has a great part for people who do not know him. You see, when I talk about the word passion, the word passion is actually defined as a strong, barely controlled emotion. The picture here is this, and I, and I, and I want you to know I'm going to keep this PG rated today here, but, but the thought, the idea behind this is, is a picture of two young lovers who can barely keep their hands off of each other. You know what I'm talking about. You've been around them. Maybe you've been them, but you know when you're around them, they make you kind of uncomfortable, a little bit queasy. You're just kind of like, oh, can you guys just leave, don't do that here. We call that being in love. When you are in love, you are con consumed with the object of your affection. You, you just are. You just can't quit thinking about them. You can't quit dwelling on them. You do whatever is needed to spend more time with them. That is passion. You're just, you're just, you just want to be with them. You want to know everything about them, emotionally, intellectually, physically, and spiritually. The desire, and you have this great desire to do things that would please them. You see, when we are passionate about God, it impacts every part of our lives as we give ourselves to different things. Well, what do I mean by giving ourselves? Well, when I am in love with my wife, I want to do things that, that please her. When I love God, I want to do things that please him, like my affection and my worship. That I want God to know that he's the center of my life. That everything I, that I have, every part of my being, I just want to be with him. I want to be around him. It also affects the things that I do, my sacrifice or my service, that it is a joy to, to do things for them. You know, when you're in love with somebody, you like to do things for them. You like to serve them, to, to do maybe tasks or duties that normally on your own you might be kind of like, yeah, that's not my thing. But when you're in love, you do it, the sacrifice, the service. But as well, when we talk about God and we say that we're in love with him, it talks about our obedience, our devotion, that I want to do those things that please you. I want to do those things that honor you. God, I want to obey your word. Why? Because it's something that blesses you. You see, the more that I love God, the more passionate that I am for God, it will produce a heart in me that wants to reach out for, to, for people. Why? Because that's what pleases him. That's what blesses him. You see, the more passionate I am for God, the more passionate I will be for people. But here's the challenge it's easy to lose that passion, isn't it? It's not always convenient to stay passionate. Why? It takes a little bit of work. You see, there's busyness that, that attacks us. We, we have all sorts of things that try to crowd our time. And, and so the busyness sometimes can cause that passion to wane if we're not careful. Or we get crowded hearts, uh, our priorities, that sometimes we, we get focused on other things. And it doesn't mean that they're bad things. They don't have to be sinful things, even though those can be things that crowd our hearts. But it can just be things that, that take our attention or our focus away from God, and we lose that passion. We can just have self-focus. I mean, that's the thing that we're always battling ourselves or our selfish desires. It's the root of all sin. It's, it's selfishness, self-focus. And sometimes we can just have apathy that just comes from 
life routine, the day-to-day things. I do this again, where it becomes mechanical, it becomes methodical, instead of something that is fresh or refreshing in our hearts and our spirit. So how can you keep your passion for God? I believe we got to fight for it. we got to fight for it. we got to keep pressing in. Now, when I talk about fighting here, I'm not talking about a fist fight, punching, fighting with people. I'm talking about holding on to, believing for, pushing other things away in our lives so that we can have that passion. It also means that we make time with God a priority. When you love somebody or you love something, you will make time for it. We see it all the time. And we also When we love him, how do we keep our passion? It's a purpose to live like Jesus, to have his heart for people, to serve people, and to reach out for godly fellowship that we need each other. And that's what I'm so excited about as these COVID restrictions are loosening, that we are going to be able to spend more time with each other because why we need each other. So the first thing is that we would have a heart that we would love the Lord our God with our whole heart. Secondly, to have a heart for the harvest. We need a heart of compassion, a heart of compassion. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah and the whale. Well, who was Jonah? Well, Jonah was an interesting character. Uh, and, And I know over the past month, I've talked about a lot of stories that most people maybe heard if they grew up in the church and kids' church. But we typically stop right where Jonah and the whale ends, but there's more to the story. But who was Jonah? Maybe you, you haven't heard about Jonah before. Well, Jonah was a prophet who was commanded by God to go to the pagan city of Nineveh to tell them that they needed to repent or that the city was going to be destroyed. But for some reason, Jonah did not like God's decision. I don't know about you. Have you ever had God tell you something that maybe you weren't really excited about it? Well, Jonah didn't like God's decision, so he, he decided to head a ship heading to Joppa, or from Joppa, heading to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction, completely the opposite of where Nineveh was. He was, like, going to do his own thing. Well, in the course of his travels, a storm comes up, and it's such a violent storm that the ship is about ready to be destroyed, and Jonah realizes that he's the cause of it because he's disobeyed God, so he tells the crew to throw him into the sea, and would you believe it, a whale comes by, swallows him, and he's inside of the whale for three days until he's regurgitated up on the shore three days later. You know, the normal everyday stuff that happens to everybody, you know, it's crazy, But the story doesn't end there. You see, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh and shares his message of God's impending judgment. And then we've discovered what the real reason is that Jonah didn't really want to go to Nineveh. Listen to this in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says, when God saw that they had done, the Ninevites, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became angry, very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I tell you before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. I mean, this sounds terrible. Slow to angry, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive for what I predicted will not happen. 
Whoa. I mean, you listen to this. Doesn't this just sound crazy? You see, because Jonah preaches his message and the people repent, God does not destroy Nineveh. But he is angry. He is mad. He is upset. It doesn't make any sense. The guy who had just been saved, think about this, from drowning. He was drowning in the ocean, and God sends a big fish to swallow him and save him, is now ticked off with God for not destroying Nineveh. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God. He says, slow to get angry filled with unfailing love. What an indictment on God. What a, what a terrible God. So you see, when we see this, we, under, we understand that that's not a rational response, that that's not a proper response to God's grace and his mercy, that God's heart is that nobody would be destroyed, that God's desire. You see, we hear the character and the nature of God, that God is gracious and kind and merciful to us. Who here is thankful today that God has been kind and gracious and merciful to you and not judged you for what you deserve to be judged for? But you see, the problem with Jonah is he didn't have a heart of compassion. See, he knew the nature of God, but did not have the nature of God in his heart. Obviously, he had an issue with the people of Nineveh and was hoping that God would judge them instead of saving them. But you see, that's what happens every day when we lack compassion. And we may look at the story, we may listen to this story, and we may hear the story and be like, that is so crazy, but we do this daily if we're not careful we may not always verbalize it but there are times that we think just like Jonah did when we see this here dare you God be so nice to people who don't like me or I don't like them how can you be nice to them God how dare you God not destroy that person who hurt me can you not see how evil and awful they are and we judge them and we were like God you should smite them you holy smiter And yet, we forget what he does for us. And my favorite is this, that sometimes we look at God and we say, how dare you bless those people? They don't deserve to be blessed, forgetting how much God has helped us and blessed us. You see, it's so easy to forget God's compassion towards us. It's so easy to have a heart that lacks compassion, that he's healed us, that he's forgiven us, and many times blessed us when we don't deserve it. Who here knows today there are times that you've got blessing that you don't deserve? Aren't you thankful that God is who he is and that he's not like others? You see, what is compassion? I want to let you know what the definition of compassion is here today. And I know I'm camping on this point probably more than others because the Lord really just spoke this to me, that we need to have a heart of compassion. Compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. I'm going to read that again. Compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. You see, compassion is seeing the need in people and then going and meeting the need. It's not just looking at the need. It's not just observing the need. No, it's where you're motivated. You're moved to do something. 
Compassion is having spiritual vision or seeing people through Jesus' eyes. You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see how Jesus' heart towards people is much different than Jonah's. We see who he is compared to how Jonah responded. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. You see, we need to understand the context of this story, what what Jesus is sharing, this account. You have to remember that all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to teach people new truth about love and compassion. He lays hands on the sick and they're healed. He delivers people from demonic oppression. And so all of a sudden now the clouds, the, the crowds are gathering around him. And it's so overwhelming that from sunup to sundown, people are around him. And so he has to leave the city, go out into the country because it's so big. And, and, and so here he is and he's seen in these crowds where, where most of us would be like, I'm just too tired. I want some rest. Leave me alone. Jesus says, what does the Bible say? He had compassion on them. He saw them, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Did you know that the Bible says that we're called to be God's sheep, that the Lord Jesus is our shepherd? Now, you you may listen to that, and and I want you to understand something, that that's really not a compliment. (laughs) Sheep are not smart. They do dumb things, and they easily wander off becoming lost. If you're going to invest your time in training an animal, you know, I've, ne- I've been to this Calgary Stampede many times. I've been to the, 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 ca- the county and even state fairs in Washington and Oregon. I've never seen like a, a, a show where they do sheep doing tricks. Why? Because they, they, they're dumb. They won't do it. <laughs> and so we're called sheep in the Bible. Why? Because we also do dumb things. <laughs> and we get easily lost. But Jesus and his compassion, and I know some of you are like, Pastor Todd, that's not really encouraging right now what you're saying, but I, I just got to tell you that, that, that that's where it is. But here's Jesus, and here's where he comes on. Jesus saw their, their physical, their spiritual condition, their physical condition, even their economical condition. And what does it say? His heart was moved to help them. He had compassion on them. He saw that they were spiritually lost, and they needed someone to help. You see, God right now is looking for people that will have a heart of compassion for people, that we will see people with not our own eyes, but with spiritual eyes, that we'll be able to look through the the filthiness, the pain, the, the, the things that aren't really that great, and we'll be able to not look with our eyes, but with our heart. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can I say it this way? The needs of people are all around us are plentiful. But those who are moved and motivated with compassion are few. You see, to reach people requires our hearts to be filled with compassion. You see, I want to say this. The one thing that changes everything is compassion. The one thing that changes everything is compassion. You see, compassion helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to focus upon others. 
It allows us to see past a person's problems and their hard exterior into what's going on in their life and their heart. When I was in Bible college, and I want to say this, I was still not the most responsible human being. Um, for my youngest days, I had a knack of losing clothing items and bicycles and other things. If my parents were here, they could give you the list of all the things that I donated to other neighborhood children, uh, schoolmates, uh, those types of things. I, I just wasn't always on the ball when it came to that. And, and so sometime when I was in my, my first year of Bible college, in my first semester, sometime in the fall, I had lost my winter jacket, which to my parents would have been like, not a surprise. But you're in college, it's on, you're on your own now, pal. And I didn't think much of it until I noticed in January another student wearing what looked like my jacket. <laughs> well, for the next few days, I saw my jacket everywhere and wondered if my jacket had not been lost, but somehow stolen by a person, a person who was actually in my own dormitory. Well, I couldn't handle this after about a week, and finally, I approached the culprit. And I asked them where they had found this jacket, where they had picked it up, and if I could take a look at it, because I already knew that, because uh, I'd learned from my mom about stuff that I put my initials on the tag, come on, you know, just so that I'd know it was mine if I did lose it, which was a possibility. And sure enough, there were my initials on the tag, and it was like, yes, I got my jacket. Now, before I could get into my spiel about how wrong it was for another Bible college student to steal my jacket, the individual began to share what a blessing the jacket was to him. As he came to the college from a much warmer climate, even from another country, and he, 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 was, and he was not, had not been prepared for the cold, rainy, rainy winters of Portland, he told me that the jacket, listen to this, had been in the lost and found bin for over five months. And as an evening janitor, he and the other student workers had been offered by the college to take what they needed as the lost and found bin was going to be sent to Goodwill before Christmas. It was all going to disappear anyways. He told me my jacket was the only thing that had kept him warm when he worked and when he'd go between buildings. In that moment, I was overwhelmed with guilt for thinking that he had stolen my jacket and filled with compassion for the situation and told him to keep the coat that it no longer was mine but completely his. He was so overjoyed in that moment that we both were filled with tears. You see, that's what God wants us to see around us, not judging people, but actually learning to understand people. So how can we be more compassionate? First of all, we gotta learn how to increase our empathy. What's empathy? Empathy is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes or to walk another mile as a statement that I always grew up with, walk another mile in somebody else's shoes. It's to be aware of other people's feelings. You see, before you judge a situation or you should try to see things from another person's perspective or viewpoint. We don't always like to go there. We don't always like to, to begin to look at things much more deeply. Why? Because it costs us time and it can be messy. Now, Mr. Rogers or Fred Rogers 
shared this important truth about empathy. He said, people have said, don't cry to other people for years. And all that has ever meant is, I'm too uncomfortable when you show your feelings, don't cry. I'd rather have them say, go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. You see, empathy is the ability to walk with others through their pain and suffering. How can we be more compassionate? We need to learn to pause before we speak. It's easy to react to situations around us. We see things going on all around us right now that are, are very upsetting. People are lashing out. They're sharing angry words and angry thoughts. And you know what I believe? We need to learn how to stop and listen to each other. We need to learn not only how to listen with our ears, but we've got to learn how to listen with our hearts. Compassionate people look for the deeper message of what's really being said. That Sometimes you can see the, 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 uh, the things that people are doing and their outrages, but it's looking to see what is really causing that pain. When you say something, you should ask yourself, are you speaking for yourself or are you speaking for others? You see, we're living in volatile times where people are shouting each other down and posting many times hurtful words in social media. I believe this scripture in Proverbs 15.1 is something we all need to take to heart, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. We need more gentle answers. Lastly, in how to be more compassionate, recognize your barriers to compassion. There are many challenges to being compassionate. Past hurts, frustrations, prejudices that get in the way of compassion. When we are frustrated, it is impossible to be compassionate at the same time. When you're upset, you don't think about what other people need. Therefore, it is important to understand that when these barriers are present, that when we're frustrated with our feelings, that your compassion meter might be low or even non-existent. Be careful about the judgments you're making because they most likely are inaccurate. So how do we have a heart for the harvest? We, it starts with having a, a, a greater passion for God. Secondly, that we need a heart of compassion. Thirdly, we've got to create time for non-church people. You see, we're creatures of habit and comfort. We tend to hang out with people we are most comfortable with, whether that is our friends or our family. Why? Because it requires more effort to spend time with people outside of your circle, especially those who are not like you or who think differently than you. But here's what I believe, and here's what I know. It's important to look for opportunities to connect with people we don't know. But in order to do that requires that you're intentional, that you create margin in your time and your schedule, that you actually say, you know what, today I'm going to do such and such, or I'm going to reach out to someone. So whether it's a neighbor in your neighborhood, a coworker at work, or somebody on the street, it doesn't matter. You have to be intentional about it. And I want to say this, intentional does not feel natural until it does. I'm going to say that again. Intentional does not feel natural until it does. What do I mean by that? Well, the more you do something, the awkward, more awkward it is at first, the longer you do it, the more comfortable you get in doing it. You see, I say this, if you're not comfortable reaching out to your neighbors, coworkers, or classmates, 
consider doing things that get you out of your normal circle of people, like volunteering at a school in your community or coaching a team, getting involved in some sort of social group. Maybe it's a crafting group, a painting group. Maybe it's, a, it's something that's in an area of, 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 of cultural expansion for you to look and be with people of a different culture. Find something that you would be willing to be interested in that takes you out of your normal circle. For those who know me know that for years I've coached community basketball and baseball teams. One of the beautiful things is it's given me the chance to meet so many great people and impact so many people. Some of my greatest moments in life have come from connection I've made with people in our community. But not only have they been great connections for my family and I, not only have they built great friendships, but they have been moments where I've seen God do amazing work. I've had neighbors, players, parents, and fellow coaches come to know Jesus over the years. You see, we need to reach out to people that are not church people. And lastly, I think the way that we begin to develop a greater heart for the harvest is we need to continue to grow in learning to talk about what God has done for you. The more we talk about what God has done in our lives, the more we become focused on God. And the more we become focused on God, the more comfortable we become talking about God. We start by sharing our faith with believers. It amazes me how many people that say they're Christians never talk about God or Jesus. You see, you will not talk to your neighbor about Jesus if you do not talk to your Christian friends about Jesus. You see, as we talk about the goodness of God with one another, our faith becomes stronger, and we're able to naturally share our faith then with those who do not know Jesus. I think we should be making it a point to have testimony exchanges with our friends and our family whenever we get together, wherever we meet. Parents, I want to challenge you today that a great activity that you can do in your home, whether it's once a week or every day, is talk to your kids and have them share what is God doing in their life? What is God doing in your life? Make it part of your normal conversation. Small group leaders, this is a great thing that you can do every time that your small group meets. What is God doing in your life. I'm telling you, the more that we learn how to share, the more comfortable we'll be amazed that we will see Jesus touch people both inside and outside of the church. Well, I'm going to invite Margo to come here today because I believe God is calling us to action. That God is desiring that we will be people that will have a heart for the harvest or a heart for the lost. You see, I pray today for everybody that's listening to me, that you would say to the Lord right now that you would open your heart, that each one of us would grow in our desire to see more people reach, that we'd have a greater heart for the harvest. You see, my desire is that our church would grow in our devotion to Jesus, our love for God, our love for pleasing Him, and our hearts for people. May we love what God loves. May God help our passion for him to grow. May we grow in our compassion for people. Maybe you are sitting here today and you are like, Father God, I, I, I realize that my compassion meter is really low or non-existent. You know what you can do right now? Ask God to enlarge your heart. Ask God to stretch your compassion meter. Ask God to give you eyes to see people the way that he sees them. Father God, right now I pray for everybody listening to 
this message right now. First of all, I pray, God, that there would be a deeper hunger that would grow in each of our lives for more of you. Lord, that we would become so filled with a desire, God, to know you, to to understand you, to hear your voice. Lord, that it would just fill us and it would overflow out of our spirits. But God, I also pray today, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, those hearts of compassion. Lord, that we would have a desire to go past our own needs, our own thoughts. Lord, that you would break off of us any places of selfishness. And Lord, that we would have that compassion for others. Lord, that we would make time for people, that we would make time for people that don't even know you, that we would do it with the heart of just wanting to love and to share your truth. Lord, may you give us greater courage to be able to share our stories and your story. Lord, that we'd be those who truly are those workers, God, for the harvest. Lord, your word says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, may we not neglect our part in being those people. Lord, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Would you lead us and guide us today? Lord, I ask you, I praise you, I thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you this week that you would be saying, God, where can I show compassion? Where would you show, show me who I can reach out to? And that you would do it, you would obey God. Why? Because you love him and you desire to please him. Maybe you've been listening today and you realize that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You realize as you're sitting here that you, you don't, you're, you're dealing with all sorts of frustration and anger and you're, you're just mad about what's going on in the world today. You're angry, but you don't want to be that way. Can I tell you that compassion comes from surrendering your life to Jesus. Jesus wants to fill you with his love and his compassion. He wants to take away that rage and anger, but you have to surrender your life to him. You have to give your life to him. And if today you're willing to do that, you're wanting to join me and many others who have done that, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I confess that I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me, to free me, Help me to become like you. I thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. Man, I just am so grateful today. I'm so excited that you have made that decision. And here's what I, I'm asking you to do today. Let somebody know, tell somebody, whether it's online right now, if you're in that online place and you just want to tell somebody, say, hey, I, I made a decision to make Jesus the, the center of my life. I want to let you know that people are going to be there to help you because not only, here, here's what has actually happened. The Bible says that when you make this choice to make Jesus the center of your life, that you are a new creation in him, that God is changing you from what you were to what he's called you to be. But not only that, you now have this great big family that's here to help you and support you. And so if you let us know, we will be able to help you on this journey. Now, maybe you're not sure about just talking into cyberspace of that, that you're going to actually be able to talk to somebody that could help you or you're not sure right now. If that's where you're at, you can still email us at info at eastsidecitychurch.ca and somebody will reach back out to you. They'll talk to you. Anyways, I want to say to everybody here, thank you so much for 
joining with us today. Thank you for being a part of our neighborhood. And I'm looking forward to our relationships growing deeper and stronger as we are going to look forward to coming back together here in the coming weeks. And, and again, I just want to encourage you to stay safe and full of faith and be, be who Jesus has called you to be. God bless you and have a great day.